As Washington's governor, Chris Gregoire spent eight years, in effect, as our state's chief executive officer. Now as CEO of Challenge Seattle, she has a new role with other CEOs addressing the tough issues facing one of the fastest growing regions in the country. If we want to continue to be a global city, where are our strengths and weaknesses? Coming up, why the former governor took on this challenge and how she thinks this area's top CEOs can do more than talk about making a difference here in transportation, jobs, public education, and innovation. I personally have got to focus on the four goals because if we don't get anything done, all of this has been for naught, and that's not who I am and that's not who they are. Chris Gregoire on Challenge Seattle and much more. I'm Enrique Serna, and this is Conversations. Governor Chris Gregoire, well, welcome. Good to have you here. It's great to be back. So uh, tell me about Challenge Seattle. First of all, what is it? And then how did Chris Gregoire become the CEO? So this takes us back to the period in which uh, the designation of Seattle as a global city was made. That was a partnership between J.P. Morgan Chase and the Brookings Institute. And after that designation, the question was asked, uh, well, if we want to continue to be a global city, where are our strengths and weaknesses? And so a study was done by Boston Consulting Group of nine cities, national and international, that are kind of comparable in terms of competitiveness, and we ranked fifth. And so um, Brad Smith, president at uh, Microsoft, asked if I would join some others and kind of look around the country what others were doing and see if there was a place for the private sector to provide some civic leadership. So we went to Austin and Houston and uh, uh, San Francisco, uh, Chicago, New York, took a look what the private sector was doing in each of those instances. And the closest culturally to us actually was Austin. Austin. Came home, uh, but still differences. Came home and had a big conversation about did did the private sector want to step up and address the fact that we are ranked fifth out of ninth. While that process is going on, in a span of two years, we became sixth out of ninth. And it wasn't because we weren't doing something. It was because what the others were doing to address whatever their concerns were. So out of that came the idea of the CEOs coming together uh, just to make the community better and to address those areas where we are seen as being weak. We don't have good international reputation. Hmm. Once you tell them who we are, we do. But for example, in China, uh, Boeing left Seattle. Uh, Starbucks, well, it's from New York. Uh, Amazon, it's from Silicon Valley. Bill Gates, he's from Seattle. Um, and therefore, Microsoft must be. And what are we best known for? The movie, Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our work cut out for us. Infrastructure is obviously one of our weaknesses. Right. Um, kind of uh, the commitment to four major employers dominating uh, our workforce is a challenge for us. And then, of course, uh, we're about two universities short of what we need in STEM degrees, and we are not getting our kids ready to get the jobs in their own backyard. And these CEOs want to hire locally. They don't want to hire 
out of state and out of country. They want to hire our own kids in our own backyard. But to do that, we've got to help make sure they're qualified for the jobs. Let's step back to Austin. Um, what is different that it's in Texas, obviously. Um, been to Austin, neat city. Uh, one thing I noticed, I was there about a year ago, uh, and I know that it's one of the fastest growing in the country. Right. And you can see it. Yeah. You can really see it in yep. their downtown and, and just how things are growing there. What does Austin have that we could learn from? They started uh, a group, uh, Opportunity Austin, they call it. It's private sector. Um, gosh, it's over 10 years ago now. Expected the life of it to be five years. And then it, it grew um, dramatically uh, where virtually all of the companies in the location uh, in and around Austin wanted to be a part of it. They set very specific goals and very specific metrics. And I happened to be there on an occasion of an annual luncheon where I was really taken by not only how they had monitored their success rate, but how much they had succeeded. For example, it, Austin a decade ago really wasn't considered much of anything. It wasn't, we didn't discuss it. Uh, other than a music city. Other than a music city, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Austin City Limits. And they went to work uh, um, with what we call earned media, that you're most familiar with, where they began talking about Austin is good in this regard, Austin is good in that regard, trying to create more jobs and a more diversified economic base. The results of which is they started to be the talk in any magazine nationally about an up-and-coming is Austin. Uh, the future uh, tomorrow is bright for Austin. And here it is today, it's arrived. And that wasn't by accident. That was by absolute planning and determination. So these CEOs, R17, differ because we're much, much more international companies than what you would find in Austin. Hence, they probably got 50 members. We have 17. We really wanted the chance for these CEOs here locally to get to know each other. They really don't have much occasion to get together as a group and talk about how they can contribute back to their community. And that has been uh, a really big side benefit. And so now, outside Challenge Seattle, they're starting to do things together that are really important. Example, last August, uh, Ray Connor, the CEO of Boeing, gave me a buzz and said, I'm worried about the wildfires in eastern Washington. We're willing to contribute. Do you think the others in Challenge Seattle would be willing to? And I said, you know, give me 24, up to 72 hours, let me see. Within 72 hours, Enrique, they had contributed over $750,000 to the Red Cross to help the folks in eastern Washington suffering from those wildfires. That's the kind of thing they're jointly doing together. When Starbucks put on its Opportunity Youth for those 16 to 24, most of which don't have high school degrees, um, out of work uh, and needing of a job, all these CEOs kind of got together and said, let's go do interviews, let's hire some of these young folks uh, and give them the chance to, to make a good life for themselves. That's the kind of thing that's happening. But we've dedicated ourselves as Challenge Seattle to four very specific goals um, and with highly, you know, measurements to make sure we're achieving those goals. We're a year old, just a little over a year old, and we're off and running. 
So tell me about um, how you herd the cats. Uh, you're the main herder here as the CEO. Uh, do you have monthly meetings? Uh, do you have dinners? Do you how, how do you bring everybody together? And then in that process, how do you start talking about what are the big issues that you got to focus on? So every CEO has a direct report that we meet with monthly. And then we have our meetings with the CEOs, dinner meetings generally, um, that we have two to three times a year, uh, and it's CEO only. So if a CEO is, is not able to attend because they're on international travel or whatever, then that chair is vacant because this is supposed to be a dialogue among them. Uh, if you were to ask me <laughs> what the biggest challenge is for me personally, uh, being the CEO of this great group of folk, it's these folks didn't get where they are without having an idea a minute. And so at the dinners, they are so vibrant and rich in, well, what if we did this and what if we did that, that I sit there and marvel at it. So my big challenge is how do we make sure we're focusing on the four goals that we've set for ourselves while starting to think about what if we could do some other things at some point, but we really, I personally, have got to focus on the four goals because if we don't get anything done, all of this has been for naught, and that's not who I am and that's not who they are. These are people who want to contribute and get things done for the betterment of the community. So the four goals. Number one is education. Uh, in that regard, as I said, uh, two universities short of STEM degrees, uh, so we're partnering now with the University of Washington in the Global Innovation Exchange that will break ground this year and the Spring District of Bellevue. Partnership between the University of Washington, ranked number one public university for innovation in the world, and Xinhua University out of Beijing, ranked the number one engineering school in the world. And this is a partnership to come up with master's degree in STEM with a completely new teaching style, mm. where they have some 15-month programs, some traditional teaching in the first five months. Then they have to get the skills and understanding of how do you work in teams across disciplines. So everything is not just about engineering. It could be about some other discipline like a scientist or uh, a mathematician or what have you. How do they work in teams? And then the last phase is the companies, uh, the Challenge Seattle companies, giving them real projects, not hypotheticals, but real projects that they have to work on and solve. And in some instances, uh, they, the, they can own the IP and go out and start a startup if they come up with some brilliant idea. But it's really intended to teach folks how to work in today's world where the problems are not about a single discipline. It's about teamwork, and it's working across disciplines. So that's what that's about. In K through 12, we're going into some, in, in a partnership with what's called the Roadmap Project, some of the most challenged schools in the area with a message. Now, let me give you an example. Ray Connor uh, at, at Boeing um, can go in and tell his personal story to these young folks who are, you know, going to decide whether they're going to get a high school diploma or not. And his story is, uh, I started he, Ray, started as a mechanic um, at Boeing. And Boeing put him through school, undergraduate and graduate school, and now he's the CEO. And so his message is a simple one. 
you can do the same thing. But you have to be responsible for your graduation from high school. And then we'll help you get the certification that can get you anywhere around an $80,000 a year job working at one of our plants. And maybe you decide you want to go to college, in which case we're willing to help you. Uh, and that's, that's the same attitude as Starbucks or Amazon or you name them. So the idea here is for these stories to be told and then younger executives to go into these schools and tell these kids exactly what they need to do to be able to be eligible for a job locally because they want to hire locally. So it's like role modeling and mentoring. Exactly. Mentoring, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Second area is in transportation. And in March, we issued our kind of call to action. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, just the folks in Challenge Seattle. It's every single person in the area. But the one thing Challenge Seattle has to offer is technology expertise, um, innovation, uh, risk-taking. Um, and, and we have governmental officials in our mayor, Ed Murray, and our county executive, Dow Constantine, who are welcoming uh, and put the welcome mat out for innovation and creativity. That's not true everywhere around the country. And we just landed Uber in our own backyard right. because they were headed to another city, south, uh, which put up some barriers. And so they said, no, we'll have our North American headquarters for what we're going to do in Seattle, where the welcome mat is out to innovation and creativity. That's what we want a reputation for, not just in the vicinity, but nationally and internationally, if we're going to be able to solve our transportation problems, unlike others, uh, where they have failed. Um, next area is in the area of jobs. We're working with those who are responsible at local government throughout King County uh, for recruiting and so on. But here's what we've offered them. Uh, once they get an employer uh, that they think is real potential for the area, that we're willing to be the closer. We're willing to, if the occasion is right, have a CEO make the call to the fellow CEO and talk about why uh, our area is a great place to work and why they should consider coming here. Um, or an executive from within one of the companies. That's, as far as we can tell, never been done around the country. And if you talk to a CEO, they'll tell you, if you really want to recruit, the best recruiter is a fellow CEO. So we want to try this and see if we can broaden our base um, than our four major employers that we have right now. Um, thirdly, or lastly, we want to tell our story. We need to be known for something other than a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be known. That's very surprising to me. Isn't it? Because it, I mean, let's face it, we're a, uh, a city that depends on trade. Mm -hmm. one thing. Most dependent. Uh, yes. And uh, it just seems like we would have more visibility from the technology that comes out of here, coffee. Yeah. And people have a real misconception then about what, Correct. What they that's did all this about. they did this study, GeekWire, I think it was, it did it. Central Park in New York, Americans ask the question, where's the technology hub in America? And everybody said Silicon Valley. Then they ask, well, who next? And then it was a wide range of cities and areas around the country, and Seattle was never mentioned. Hmm. And in fact, we know we are. We're humble here. We're very humble. Uh, too humble. 
It's about time we talked about how we are the hub of music and our history in music. We are the hub in arts and what we have, like a Chihuly. Our area, from Mount Rainier to Puget Sound to the rainforest, I mean, where else do you get that, right? Um, finest wine uh, anywhere, uh, frankly, in my opinion. Pretty good apples. Great apples. <laughs> um, and um, a, a kind of a business community that's built on a unique culture of collaboration and working together and caring about the community and not your, with all due respect, typical image that people have of, of big companies. So it's about time we told our story, so we're going to try and undertake that. We've tried to capture it in a, a short way, and we call it Seattle Incredible Works Here. And incredible means from our Mount Rainier uh, to our Boeing company to our Macklemore to our Seahawks, uh, to our Chihuly. I mean, it, we need to tell our story because I think we are blessed with all that we have here. But the other thing we want to do, and these CEOs are determined, is not to lose the uniqueness of our area, our culture, our values, our great outdoors. So that's why they are undertaking to uh, tackle these issues before it's too late. How about other issues? I mean, we have a, a homeless crisis here, uh, which is also part of a bigger crisis with a heroin and opioid crisis here. We have an affordability issue in this city. Uh, we have tremendous growth brought about by our economic boom. Is this something that these CEOs are willing to look at? Like I said, I'm trying to stay focused on the four goals, uh, but we're working in partnership with the Roundtable and the chamber. And the chamber, as a result of all of this work on global cities, has undertaken now to create a partnership uh, where they're trying to look at this economic uh, inequality issues that we're facing in the city. And it all comes together, frankly. When you look at transportation, one of the problems we have with transportation is we are forcing people for affordability outside the city then they have to uh, turn to the most expensive form of transportation, their own vehicle, oftentimes because they can't get to public transportation without their own vehicle. We call it the first mile, or to the place where they work, the last mile. So all of this comes together. But So we've tried to divide up the workload so that we're tackling all of the major issues. But Challenge Seattle's four goals that it set for itself are the ones I've mentioned. Transportation to me seems to be one of the most uh, difficult issues because yep. Yep. our growth here is um, we have, you know, obviously the economic boom has brought a lot of growth. Uh, we have streets that are clogged. We have infrastructure issues that are all a big issue as well. Um, how can we change this and how can these CEOs work to do that? So the message... Uh, our call to action was intended to convey was no one entity uh, can solve this problem. It's everybody, every single person working together to try and address this. Just like we all came together historically when we were polluting the Dickens out of Lake Washington, joined as a community, cleaned it up, and consider it a treasure, which it is. We cannot be like San Francisco, 
who failed to plan, failed to recognize what prosperity would bring to them. We need to plan so we have low-income housing, uh, middle-class jobs. We have transportation. So that's what this is all intended to bring this all together. In the transportation sector, the, the one, we have a couple principles that we live by, Enrique. Um, one of them is we don't lobby. And as I told the CEOs, if you don't lobby, I don't know how you solve transportation. And the other one is we don't do what others will do or are doing. Rather, we carve out a role for the CEOs to work in partnership, bringing their unique expertise to the table uh, that otherwise wouldn't be present. So in the case of transportation, these CEOs are technology leaders in the world. And transportation really, for tomorrow, is about technology. I mean, historically, we've looked at it as build a new road or build a new bridge. We need to turn the corner and understand that particularly in this area, the rectangle of 40595 and 520, there's not much more room, okay? Uh, so building more is really not yeah, a good option. That's one of the bigger issues. We just don't have any land to Correct. do this with. So we turn to technology. Uh, one of the ideas that we're trying to pursue now with a, a center that we created at the University of Washington called the Mobility Innovation Center is to take the expertise of, of, of a, a group of professors there that will be well-rounded from the social implications to the technology implications, partner with local government, partner with Challenge Seattle CEOs to look at how do we make I-5 more of a freeway, which is what it's supposed to be, rather than the busiest downtown city street. What can technology do for us? How can we make that a smart corridor, is what they call it? How do we make Seattle, which the mayor is trying to lead on, a smart city technologically when it comes to transportation? How do we ready our city for the semi-autonomous and the autonomous vehicle? You can't just sit here and do nothing. They're coming. They're here. And so how do we ready ourselves and what are the implications of that technology and what it will do to a city? So we're trying to work both here locally, nationally, and internationally. Uh, one of our partners is BMW. They brought a perspective to the table that is quite unique at that innovation center. So we're truly trying to look at who's tested anything around the globe and does it fit here? And if so, how do we make it work here? And those are the questions we're asking the university to look at with projects that would last six to nine months, with deliverables that are absolutely implementable and a commitment by whomever, whether it would be the mayor or the county executive, to implement them. Is there any skepticism of this? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there is to some degree. Um, let's take Boeing. You know, they have been branching out to other parts of the country and issues in the legislature about giving them tax breaks and things like this. Does that create any concern as to just what their commitment is to be a part of this? I will tell you, uh, we have two co-chairs right now, Ray Connor from Boeing and Satya Nadella from Microsoft. And Ray is very much involved in Challenge Seattle uh, and stepping up dramatically so uh, personally he wants to get engaged and get involved and to go into the schools personally to send the message that he wants to hire here and that those folks can look at him and see themselves. Um, 
He is absolutely committed to try and meet the goal at Challenge Seattle set for itself on reducing single occupancy vehicle by employees uh, to no more than 35% by 35. He is making it clear we can do better than that. Let's, let's accelerate our achievement. Let's do better than our goal. So he and his folks together are absolutely committed to challenge Seattle because Ray grew up here. This is Ray's home. And while he goes international now, he knows his children work here. I, I assume one day he'll have grandchildren. He wants this community to be everything it was for him and give his children and everybody else's children the opportunity he got that landed him in a position of being CEO. I don't doubt for a moment his personal commitment. Let's talk about uh, some other transportation issues. I know that uh, you were a proponent of what was happening on the waterfront and reimagining that, yep. and we've got Bertha. Yep. Um, as you watched it get stuck in various places, did you feel agony? Are you happy now that you see that it's actually making some progress? So I can't tell you how much time I spent on transportation. I, I, I ask myself, well, first of all, when I came in, transportation was really handled by the commission. And then the legislature said, no, we're going to have a secretary of transportation appointable by and reportable to the governor. So that changed things. And then we had mega projects coming at us. So I dealt with two that were unbelievably controversial. And you know Seattle is process capital of the universe. That was the other thing I was going to ask you about. (laughs) Process, process, process. Process, process to death. But so I was determined we're going to make decisions, we're going to move forward, but not without doing our homework, not without doing our homework. So I am very proud of the 520 bridge and the future for it. Um, I remain absolutely of the mind that we're going to see a waterfront that's going to knock the socks of the people of this community off and those who visit. It will transform the waterfront and it will play a role in transforming the city. Now, how do I handle all these delays? Um, I am probably, I'll I'll, I'll be lenient and say among the top five in terms of frustrated. And I'm in fairly frequent contact with people (laughs) to say, what are you going to do now? Um, But I also have had some very sage advice. The then Premier Campbell in British Columbia Uh, has constantly reminded me how many troubles they had as they did very much what we're doing that transformed uh, the waterfront, and it's fabulous in Vancouver. You know they had problems in San Francisco. Well, I've been, I taught at Harvard for a semester, and I wanted to really get a feel for, you know, what's been the aftermath of the, quote, big dig, unquote, The aftermath is the people of that area think it's the greatest thing that ever happened, and thank goodness it happened. So everybody has reminded me, it ain't easy getting there to the end. Be determined. Be patient. And make sure it happens. Uh, And so that's what I think the governor is doing, um, and we're going to get there. Uh, And I'm I'm very happy they've corrected the problems that that were present uh, by a lot of push and shove and determination. But I am absolutely 
of the mind, we're going to be very pleased with the outcome. But let me go back in time. There were those who advocated that we simply take down the viaduct. The fact that they closed the viaduct, if you'll recall here recently, for nine days, you, I mean, people were apoplectic. Oh, yeah. That was one of the alternatives that we had to research to the nth degree. Obviously, that was not a long-term good solution. And the fact that Seattle, Washington will have the largest transportation tunnel in the world, I think, will put us again where we deserve to be on the map as one of the most innovative, creative cities in the world. That's who we are. Now it's about time the world knew it. Did you uh, feel a sense of relief as it slowly made its way through there <laughs> and actually got to the end and yeah, ahead of time? So I took I mean, a tour of it behind, just before it started up again yeah. um, and uh, was told very bluntly that they didn't have the right team uh, before. That, that first portion of the, of the drilling was a very problematic soil condition because it's not Mother Nature's. It's, it's us. It's, it's fill. It's garbage. It's all those things. Kind of a man-made thing. Yes. Would, yeah. So that was a challenge for the machine. And then those who are responsible, uh, the operators of the machine, were not ready for that, those conditions, uh, which I think contributed to the problem. They brought in what they refer to as the A-team, they have now gotten through uh, all that we have done. We're now in Mother Nature land. Um, so I, again, remain very optimistic with the tenacity of the governor uh, and the hard work of uh, the people who are responsible. Uh, we've gotten through the worst of it, and now we're going to get to the end and be amazed at what it's going to do to the waterfront in the city. You're a busy lady. Uh, not only, I mean, eight years as governor, uh, obviously involved in, in government before that. Did it take you a while to chill out after you <laughs> left office? Unbelievably. I was, I was shocked. I mean, everybody told me, take six months, don't say yes to anything, and so on. And I thought, I don't need that. I'm okay. I really didn't understand how much I needed to just kick back a little bit. And then probably for me personally, one of the best things I did was when I went to teach at Harvard because it was a moment that I've never had to stop and reflect over my entire career and to share it with these students. And for them to ask me very penetrating, thought-provoking questions that made me think and ask myself questions. So I feel renewed um, and um, excited, um, but frankly, the most important thing of renewal in my life is since I've left office, we have two granddaughters that we take care of faithfully every Friday, <laughs> and our youngest daughter is going to bless us with the first little boy in our lives um, in July, and we're ecstatic about that, and uh, to me, this is the 
dividends uh, that I'm now getting to be able to be a grandparent. Yeah, that'll change your life. Yeah, it has. Right? Yeah. It has. Plus, you can give them back, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> I get all that. But, uh, I, you know, they're just a joy. I'm just, yeah. you know, being a parent is is wonderful. Uh, being a grandparent's very different uh, and unbelievably rewarding. It's just, uh, it's just great. Well, I can't let you go um, without talking some politics of today. Uh, how are you seeing what's happening in the country right now? You know, I spoke to a group last night, Enrique. I couldn't be more upset about what's going on at the national level. And I guess it's a period in history that we're going to have to see our way through. Um, as a country, we're one of the leaders of the world. And this election is not who we are, what we should be. It doesn't look like a leader of the world to me at all. Uh, this personalization, these name-calling, these racist and comments and sexist comments, uh, we need to get past it. I was shocked that the members of this city council voted. And then the reaction. What this campaign has done... On the sports arena. On the sports and, arena, And yeah. how the uh, hardcore sports guys reacted to the women, five women that voted uh, to not allow that street to be uh, vacated so that they could build the arena. And that was um, – that I found that embarrassing as totally. a guy. Just totally embarrassing Totally. I mean, it's one thing to disagree with a public official. Everybody has the right to disagree, but not – in that manner, not in a demeaning, sexist, gross way. Th th that's just not who we are, um, and we need to get back to who we are. And unfortunately, what I think the national election has done is unleashed the worst in us. I think we have had a filter uh, that has held some people back, and the filters are gone. Whatever comes into their head comes out their mouth. Uh, and it's it's not good. It's not right, in my opinion. And it sure, sure is not a representation of the America I know and love. So I hope we're going to work our way through this period uh, and get back to the values, the morals, the ethics, the who we are as Americans rather than what we're seeing on the campaign trail. I often wonder with the growth of social media and um, the way media has changed has then added to all of this? No question in my mind. None. Now, I understand the anger that's out there. I mean, working through that um, recession was right. the toughest thing I've ever done in a leadership role. And to see the impact it, it had on the lives and the livelihood of the people of our state, and then to see us come out of that positioned pretty well frankly, because of really good work done by the legislature. But come out of it and leave those who were impacted the most behind has created real angst, a real anger, a fear that my children will not be better off than I was. I get all that. But I don't know why we can't have a good debate without turning to you know, racist comments or sexist comments or violence, that to me is not going to solve anything. The message is lost. 
the heart of what needs to be said and conveyed is lost by all of those kinds of things. I take it um, you're not feeling the burn, but you're probably going with I Hillary. <laughs> I am. I find her, forget the fact she's female, I find her the most well-qualified candidate for president of the United States probably in my lifetime. And uh, the most vetted candidate yeah. in the history of probably ever. Um, and I, I worry about us domestically for what I just said. Uh, I also worry internationally. I mean, the international issues are front and center for me. Um, the future of the country, the future of the world, um, and boy, we need somebody who gets it, who understands it, who has experience, is ready to do it day one, no laps, no training wheels, ready to hit the ground running. We have this tremendous economic growth going on here in Seattle. Great. A lot of, you know, what the unemployment rate, I think, is only about 4% or so. How do we take that and give it to the rest of the state because there's other parts of the state that aren't feeling that. But also, how do we make the best use of that in the future here? So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know, the, the fact, I mean, do we really appreciate we're the 16th largest city in the country now? That last year we were the fastest growing, number one. This year we're the fourth fastest growing. Um, and with that comes a challenge for us to retain uh, our uniqueness, our culture, what what we love about the area. So how do we retain that, but also welcome the economic prosperity that is brought with it? And how do we broaden it, broaden it outside Seattle, King County, to across the entire state? So Challenge Seattle, uh, while it uses Seattle, uh, is really not just about Seattle. If you were to travel with me internationally and you would say, I'm from Washington, you cannot correct them. I've tried it. It's, I failed. It, that means D.C., and you're never going to change what they think that means. If you say Seattle, that is the state of Washington. Then. Sometimes I think that people think we have vineyards and wheat fields <laughs> and apple orchards in downtown Seattle. Right. Um, so... We need to make sure the entire state uh, is prospering, that those, you know, all of that agricultural world in eastern Washington, particularly in, in northwest Washington, is vibrant, and we're trading. Now, I happen to be a supporter of TPP, and I know how controversial that issue is, but you can't be the most trade-dependent state in the nation, which we are, and not step up to realize that we have got to be able to outcompete or compete with China. And TPP is the vehicle, in my opinion, to make that happen. And I have been very much involved with whether it is protecting workers' rights, whether it is protecting the environment, and I applaud the president and his people for having done a very good job on that. But that's what Eastern Washington is about. They need to be able to export and compete. Sure, Boeing does and so on. But if you look at the whole state, we are a trade-dependent state like no other. So we want to spread the prosperity across the whole state. It's happening, but far too slowly compared to what's going on in Seattle. And we want to retain the values that the entire state has. Not, yes, the values of Seattle, but the values of the entire state. 
My proudest time of my state is when I finished running for election for governor, where I had traveled the state constantly from month after month, got to meet the people, got to see the geographic diversity and the economic diversity and the ethnic ethnicity of our state. And I got to tell you, it was the proudest time I've ever been of our state. We need to share that wealth across the state. Everybody needs to prosper. Former Governor Chris Gregoire, also the CEO of Challenge Seattle. And thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck, Grandma, with all those grand- grandkids. <laughs> and enjoy Thanks, it. Thanks, Enrique. All I right. will. Thank all you. Right. Good to see you. Thanks for being you. with us.